You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Please stand with us as I read today's scripture from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And you can follow along in your Bibles, on your uh, phone app, or there are Bibles in the chair backs in front of you. If you do not have a Bible, please take one of those with you today as our gift to you. Again, Romans chapter 2, 1 through 16. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for a day to celebrate and to worship with one another. God, I Thank you for the moms who are here with us and those who are not, who have already passed on. God, I thank you for the influences that they've had on our lives and shaping who we are today. God, I thank you for Pastor Jeremy and for the words that he's going to bring us today. I pray that you will open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say about your coming judgments on all of us, Lord God. And I thank you for those of us who have faith that it's such a a good and perfect judgment, God. And I pray for those who have not come to faith in you that they will hear um, and make that choice, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrea. There once was a man who came to speak to the king, and he told the king this story. He said, King, there are two guys, rich man who had so much, 
and a poor man who didn't have much. The, the rich man had, had flocks and, and wealth that the, that the poor man couldn't imagine. But the poor man, what he did have, his love and his family and this one precious little sheep. This little sheep to them was the circle of their family. The, the kids would feed it at the dinner table. Quit feeding the sheep and they'd just keep doing it. The, the kids would take naps with the sheep and follow them around, something like our modern day puppy. That's what this sheep was to them. And the family didn't have much, but they had love and they loved that little sheep. Well, the rich man, he was hosting. He decided, for supper we're having lamb chops. Let's stuff them real nice. But the rich man thinks, I'm not going to take something from my flock. Take that little sheep. Kill that one. Well, who cares? It's just somebody who's poor. Like, they're going to give a rip. I do what I want. So this, this guy is telling the king this story. Can you guess how the king responds? King's mad. King says, I think that rich man who did that should be killed. That's how angry he is. That's when the man who was a prophet, who was telling the king the story, turned and pointed his finger at the king and he said, King, you're the man who did that. If you're not familiar with 2 Samuel 12, this is the story where prophet the prophet Nathan approaches King David. King David, if you're foggy on your Israelite history, he is the most impressive king. It's during the golden age of Israel. And, and King David, the youngest of this long line of brothers who God handpicked, he used to be a shepherd. He probably had a little lamb as a kid that he loved. And, and God takes David and he puts him on the throne and David has anything he could want. And one day when King David was supposed to be out, what the other kings were, he was at home and he watched as a woman was bathing. And he went and took her. And she got pregnant after his sin. And King David was real worried. He didn't, he didn't want anybody to find out what happened. So he called her, her husband home from war and, and tried to create this rendezvous so nobody would find out his terrible sin. It didn't work. And he just kept getting further and further in a conundrum as he was trying to do this self-protection. But at the end of it, what happens is he tells this army, I want you to go fight and then everybody retreat at the right sign except this man, he didn't get the memo because he king wants him dead. And that's what the king did. He had this woman that he took. He, husband killed. That's the story then that God sent the prophet Nathan to tell King David. And when Nathan pointed at the king and said, you're the man who stole the precious little lamb and had it slaughtered metaphorically, King David was cut to the heart, and it was quite the gotcha moment. That sort of gotcha moment happens every now and then in the text and in the scripture. And, and this morning, 
Paul is going to use this kind of gotcha moment with the Roman church. Now, he doesn't talk about lambs, but he does surprise the church in chapter 2 by taking the stinking sin of self-righteousness, and he's going to shove it in the church's face. That would have shocked the church, and it would have surprised him something fierce. In fact, there's three ways they would have been surprised. And since the sermon is going to follow the text this morning in the sermon, there's going to be three surprises I want to show you from this scripture. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Romans chapter 2 so that you can know I didn't just sit around thinking about telling a story about lambs and surprises. This is just what the text says. Romans 2, 1 to 16 is the text that I'll be preaching from today. The first surprise, if you're taking notes, surprise God's going to judge the judgmental. Surprise. God's going to judge the judgmental. So if you get to Romans chapter 2, to appreciate the surprise in the text, it's probably good for you to keep in mind that one of Paul's goals in this, the book of Romans, is to bring unity to the church. That's one of his end games is that after they're done reading the book of Romans, that the church would realize we're more unified now, that, that there's a reason for us to find unity. And that's why Paul begins in the book of Romans. We preached through this already, but he begins by saying, hey, I'm a legit apostle of Jesus, so you can trust me. And he also tells the Romans, man, I really love you because he knows he's about to drop the hammer on them and he wants to have this enough credibility of enough relational capital that as he starts drawing on it, they'll stick with him. And so by the time then he gets to the end of chapter one, if you look at verses 18 to 32, you'll see that what Paul does is he starts hammering in all these godless pagans likely outside the church. He's starting to talk about all the people who are in the room and how awful they are, which if you were smug and self-righteous, you'd be nodding along like... Yeah, that's what's up. Get them, Paul. Those godless pagans. They were feeling perhaps like a Buccaneer fan in Kansas City after the Super Bowl. <laughs> that is until Paul turned the camera off of those people outside the church and caught them with an unsuspecting undercut. In chapter 2, 1, look at the text. Here's the gotcha moment. Therefore, you, Roman Christians, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Paul begins the hammering session by Explaining, you have no excuse, you judgmental Jews. You actually have something in common with all the godless pagans out there. That is, they have no excuse, but neither do you. There's no excuse. What is more? Verse 3, you've got no escape from the text. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? No escape. No excuse. No escape. There's no excuse. There's no escape from judgment. 2-5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, 
You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's what Paul's saying. You Roman Christians, you're a bunch of religious hypocrites who look down your nose at everybody who doesn't show up at the Sunday morning service, and yet in your heart, instead of God's kindness leading you to repentance, you're just self-righteous. And for all your self-righteousness, you're going to face judgment too. You're going to be standing up in front of God just like all the godless pagans are, and you're going to have to answer for this sin. Surprise! God's going to judge the judgmental. If we had an instant replay of that moment in the Roman church, my guess is many of the folks in church had a similar expression like King David would have had back in 2 Samuel 12. Oh, my word. Could imagine a spouse leaning over and saying, did Paul just say what I thought he said? I think he did. If you have ever jumped to the water in the winter like a polar plunge, that's what it would have done to you. Oh, I've lost my breath. Oh. Paul's clear. God will judge religious hypocrites. But once the moment passed, there would have been some sharp Jews who thought to themselves, okay, okay, but God gave Jews the Ten Commandments, Paul, he didn't give everybody else out there, the Gentiles, the, the Greeks, he didn't give them the Ten Commandments. He gave us the Ten Commandments. So doesn't that get us some sort of free pass or something? Surprise number two. God's not given any passes at judgment. 2.6. On the day of God's final judgment, God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, God will give eternal life. What Paul's explaining is God's judgment is completely righteous. You don't have to wonder if God's going to be partial or not. No, no, no. He's going to get it exactly right. So if you're able to show up at judgment and go, what up, Mr. God? As you notice, I have lived a perfectly righteous life. I have been holy and pure in thought and deed. Why, you get a free pass by all means. Not a pass. You've actually earned righteousness. You're in because God's righteously judgment. If you've lived perfect, and church, this is still true. If you want to go to heaven, apart from Christ, all you got to do is be perfect. Get it done. God's righteous. You get eternal life. Verse 10, you get glory, honor, and peace. That's what you get. But, but, but what if I have like just made a little mistake? Well, here's what you get for the unrighteous. Eight, for those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Now Paul's contrasting then those who would be perfect and those who are self-seeking and disobedient. The evil, the distressed. Paul's answering the judgmental religious elitists in the Roman church who were thinking, I think I'm getting the pass at judgment. And he's saying, nope, God's impartial. You will get 
judged. He is going to judge you perfectly according to your works, verse 6. So you are going to stand there, and we're going to see the instant replay, and God will perfectly judge you for everything you've done. The message is super clear. God will judge religious hypocrites. That's what God's going to do. Now again, if we could peek in on the church or hear their train of thought at this point, there, there would have been some who thought to themselves, okay, okay, Paul, like I might be, I might be a religious hypocrite, but, but, but at least I have the law. What about all those people who don't have the law? And by law, Old Testament law, that's basically synonymous with like the Ten Commandments. Those aren't exactly the same, but, but if you're not sure like, okay, what does the pastor mean by Old Testament law? Think Ten Commandments is a, a good substitute. There would have been Jews in the Roman church thinking to themselves, okay, like we have the law. Okay, fine. You think I'm a religious hypocrite, but what about all those Gentiles and Greeks who don't have it? Is God right to judge them? They didn't get the law. This is what Paul says, surprise, God's judgment is just and for all. 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Okay, so if you didn't have God's law, you're judged without God's law. And to 12, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. If God did give you the law, that's how he's going to judge you. You see what Paul's saying? Yeah, you're right. There's some people who don't have the Old Testament law, but God's still going to judge them without it. And then whoever has it is going to get judged by it. So Paul's reiterating, what that means then is just because you have the law doesn't make you righteous. See, there were some who thought, because I possess the law, I'm good. I mean, that's like saying, I've got a Bible. Aren't I getting to heaven free? Like, I, I got the Bible. That's the ticket, right? No. The ticket in the book. The, the ticket's not the law. Uh, possession does not make you righteous. What would make you righteous is perfect obedience. 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be judged justified. <laughs> you judgmental hypocrites, Paul's saying. If you want to be justified before God, it's really quite easy. It has nothing to do whether or not you're, you're aware of the Old Testament law. All you have to do if you want to be perfectly justified is obey the law perfectly. Just do it. And as it turns out, even if you don't have the law, God's going to judge you by what he's put on your heart. Look at 14. For when Gentiles who don't have the law, by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. See, what Paul's getting at over here is he's saying there are Gentiles who don't have the law, and yet, if you peek in on them, you'll notice that even though they don't have the Old Testament law, they know better than to murder each other, and their kids know to respect their parents, and they know that they shouldn't commit adultery, they shouldn't steal, and they shouldn't covet, but what Paul's explaining is you're right, 
self-righteous Jews that some in the world didn't have the Old Testament law, but when they obey what they don't even know, it shows that God's doing something in their heart, and they have a type of law baked into their DNA. Meaning, whether you are a Jew ethnically or not, God has baked into you, in your conscience, what's good and right. Conscience, that's not the Holy Spirit, no. It's this active sort of inner voice that when you're thinking, "Mm, should I do that? Listen to that voice. If it accords with the Bible, you should not. The conscience can convict, it can accuse or excuse. Here then is Paul's foundational argument for unity as he's talking to these smug, self-righteous Roman Christians. They would have been thinking, man, I just got a little sin splinter in me. I just need little Jesus to take out this little sin splinter. But those godless pagans out there have telephone poles running through their eyeballs. They got some real sin issues. Listen here, we're not so bad. Paul's showing them wrong. All of you are sinners. This is what the Roman Christians had in common with the godless pagans. At God's judgment, he will judge the secrets of all men. 16, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That trouble any of you? That there's coming a day... And he knows it all. He's going he's gonna to judge it all. What a troubled the original audience. I mean, they had settled in, had their equivalent, Roman equivalent to coffee. They're sitting there, oh, a letter for Paul for the sermon today. Oh, good. Go get him, Paul, those pagans out there. Boom. Paul says, God's going to judge the religious hypocrites. Surprise, there's no free passes at judgment. Surprise, God's going to judge you. Surprise, God's judgment is just and for all. Can you feel now the tension that would have been there in the church? It, it would have been so thick you can cut it with a knife. Thank you, Pastor, for helping us understand what's going on in Romans chapter 2, 1 to 16. That's for them then. Pastor, how does it apply to us now? What does is, what is this text have for us today? What, what response does this scripture elicit? Well, here's a surprise for us. Jesus, just like Paul, he tells a story in Luke 15 where he divides the world into two groups As well, if you go to Luke 15, Jesus is telling a story about the prodigal son, and he talks about the younger son who decides to go off to the equivalent of Vegas with his inheritance, and he does what you're all thinking people do in Vegas. He does it all, and he ends up homeless, hungry, poor, sitting in pig slop, and then he comes back to the father. That's what the younger son does. And then there's this older son who's smug and self-righteous, pretending to do everything right. But when the younger son comes back and the father's so happy that that kid had come back home, this guy feels self-righteous and goes, Dad, you never threw me a party. And and what Jesus' story in Luke 15 confirms for us, what, what Paul's doing is is there are those in the world 
who are godless pagans and they're sinners, yes, and there are those who are self-righteous, smug rule followers, and they're sinners too. I don't know everyone's story in this church, but I've talked to some of you. I don't know some of you identify with the prodigal son. And you've made a mess of your life, and you're embarrassed, but you've repented, and you've come back to the Father. And you know you're a sinner who needs grace. Amen. My sense is, more commonly in our church, there's more people like me. We've been rule following our whole lives. We think we're so good at putting on appearances. We think we're so self-righteous and we can, we can make people think nice things about us because we, we know how to be fake. But, but in our heart, we're sinners too. And I know the tendency, if, if you're like me, the tendency is to begin to try to justify yourself to go, no, 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 pastor, there's got to be a third option. No, no, I'm not that one and I'm not that one. What's the hybrid? What's the other alternative? But in the story of the prodigal son, there's only two sons. It's not a prodigal three son. There's no three. And in our text, there's not this third group of people Paul's about to drop on us. There's two options. You're that one or you're that one. Surprise, church. We have the same heart problem that they've got then. Our heart is every bit as sinful as any godless pagan that we could handpick from Vegas right now. If we took some satellite camera and zoomed in on somebody who's homeless and spending all their money on, on drugs or alcohol or, or prostitution or, or whatever it is, whatever their lifestyle and sinful decisions have put them in the position they're in, if the camera would zoom in on my heart, it is equally sinful. Surprise! We have the same sinful heart. And even though we love to look down our noses and be so judgmental at all the people who, who don't have a life like us, we are hypocrites in overlooking our own sin. Church, we are just like King David. We have so much, and we sin. We try to cover it up, and we love talking about the sin out there. But God's going to judge us. God will judge religious hypocrites. But just like the, the son and the story of the prodigal son, it's the younger one who repents so quick, and it's the older one. We don't know if, if he's going to repent as well. There are some who are older brothers in that story. There are some then who identify with 2, 1 to 16, but we try to justify ourselves. But just would you look at chapter 1, verse 32, this list of sins that Paul aims at the godless pagans? Look at 132 and just tell me, do any of these describe you ever? Have any of these descriptions been accurate of your life, filled with unrighteousness, evil, coveting? You ever wondered what's not yours? Malice? Anyone here full of envy, jealousy, 
murder. Jesus says being angry at somebody is the same as murder. You ever done that? Strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander. You ever talk bad about somebody without them being there? I have. Hating God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventing evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Anyone here guilty of knowing God's commands and disobeying them? If you're here and you're still unconvinced whether you're guilty, remember, it's not, have I done all the sins? You don't stand before judgment and it's like, well, if you did them all, you're guilty. No, if you just did one. It's like a pane of glass. It's either perfect or it's cracked. And I don't care if it's got 27 cracks or a little chip. It's either perfect or it's not. Realize you are guilty before God if you've even broken one of his rules one time. And oh, how I pray that the Spirit would convict you of sin if you don't believe that. Surprise, church, we're just as guilty as anyone out in the world. So that's how it connects to us now. What then is the application? Pastor, what, what is the response that this text calls for here? Paul, having already targeted the godless pagans, now targeting the older brothers who have all the rules and laws clear in their mind, Hypocrites who enjoy judging those realize since God will judge religious hypocrites, we must repent. We must repent. Repent like King David. He made a big old mess. Repent. If you don't know how to repent, Psalm 51 is, is, is King David's prayerful response in view of his great sin. It's a model for us as, as he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me, God, thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Friends, realize apart from Christ, all of us have the exact same sinful heart. Sure, there are sinful people out there who can present themselves as godless pagans, and we might walk into the church and say we're doing fine, and we might smile at one another, but in our hearts, they're every bit as sinful. We just present differently. Repent. Ask God for mercy. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, all right, pastor, man, I'm listening. I mean, some Mother's Day text you pick, but I'm listening. <laughs> pastor, I, I don't think I'm the prodigal, but, but, but I'm not sure that I'm this other person. H how would I know? Here's a litmus test for you. Uh, three easy questions. I adapted them from Pastor Tim Keller to test and evaluate your heart. Let me, let me ask you the, the, the three questions. Do you feel that you're a hopeless sinner whom God would have a perfect right to cast off this minute? 
because of the state of your life and your heart. Do you feel that? Is that true for you? Man, I'm a hopeless sinner. You've got to be right. Because of my life and my heart. If so, yeah, it doesn't sound like you're a judgmental hypocrite, if that's true for you. Question two. When you consider how those outside the church live, do you shake your, your head and judge in your heart? Is that how you act to people outside the church when you see them in their mess? Or do you think, man, my heart is just like theirs. It just, I just show it different. If it's just you and God, how do you answer that question? If you agree you have the same heart problem like those outside the church, doesn't doesn't sound like you're a judgmental hypocrite. Question three, do you deep down, if it's just you and God, later today, I would hate for it to happen, but let's just say you're facing God's judgment this afternoon. Deep down, do you think you really obeyed God's law and that at the final judgment, there's nothing he could bring up that would condemn you? You think that? What up, God? Sorry I showed up this afternoon, but man, I'm good, right, man? Do you think that? Or have you accepted God could not only replay something you have thought, said, or done that condemns you, but that your only chance to be justified before God must come from outside yourself? you're here and you realize you deserve hell. You realize that's what would be right of God to do. And you know that the only chance for you to be saved, even though you're guilty, for, for God to declare you innocent, the only chance you have ain't going to come from your resume. It ain't going to come from what you've done. It's got to come from something somebody else did because I know what I did is, is terribly wicked. If you know that, then you're on the right path. See, if you're fuzzy on the gospel, the gospel, this is the life-changing news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. If you're fuzzy on this, lean in. Anybody here, if you realize you are deeply broken, if you are weary of your hypocrisy and you need rest, if you mourn your judgmentalism and you long for mercy, For all who, has, who have failed as self-righteous legalists and you need a savior, I mean, great news for you. The Lord, the Lord, he is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I mean, good news. Romans 2.4, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The Father, he will forgive you. If you would repent of your sin, if you would 
See how patient he's being with you, friend. Right now, he would be right to end the time continuum and send us all to judgment right now. And he would be justified to send all of us who have sinned straight to eternal conscious punishment in hell. He would be right to do that. But he is kind and he's patient and he is waiting. He is withholding his judgment for now so that you might repent. If you're here and you realize, all right, pastor, I follow, but I don't really want to. It's not that I disagree with you. I, fine, that's what the Bible says. Fine, but I, I just, I don't want to do it. Man, beware if your heart is hard. Did you see verse 5? Did you see Romans 2, 5? Beware if, if the message of the gospel doesn't, the kindness of Jesus doesn't soften your heart. And what you can do then is reflect on God's kindness. Reflect on how kind he is day after day, moment after moment. Everything good and wonderful that you've ever experienced in your life is not because you've deserved it. That's a gift. Whatever wonderful thing you get to celebrate, whatever wonderful thing God's, God's provided to you, man, thank you, God, that is kind of you because I didn't deserve any of that. Beware if your heart is hard. And reflect on God's kindness. And where do we see God's kindness most clearly? And that's at the cross. Where Jesus, who was the innocent lamb. Remember 2 Samuel 12? There was an innocent lamb slaughtered for an evil family. He's that innocent lamb who was slaughtered for all the ways that we've sinned against him. I mean, he came to earth and he, he had the law and he obeyed it perfectly. He's the only one who knew everything to do, both in deed and in heart. And then he did it. And, and they took him to the cross and they crucified him. The innocent son became the slaughtered lamb. But here's then the final surprise to leave you with. Surprise, church. God loves you so much. He loves his glory and he's going to get justice. But he loves you so much that he sent Christ on the cross for you. Man, I hope it's not a surprise. Jesus loves you so much. God loves you so much. We provide a way. And since God's going to judge religious hypocrites, we should repent. That's the sermon in a sentence. So church, don't be blindsided like David. Don't be blindsided like David. Don't be blindsided like the Romans. And don't be blindsided at judgment. You and I are all going to face judgment. And, and, and you will not be able to say, I didn't know. No, here you are today. You just got the news. God would be right to say, no, I told you. It was May 9th, 2021. It was Mother's Day. You were there. You listened online. However, don't be surprised at judgment. May God grant us grace to see our sin. May the Spirit convict us. And may we repent and rest in you, Jesus Oh, Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the time that you've provided. And I do pray that you would take your word and you would drill that so deep in our hearts. That all who have listened, I pray, Spirit, you would take this truth. If, if, 
if there are some who don't know you, they would repent of their sin. For those who do, they would celebrate your finished work, and you'd get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's spend a few minutes reflecting on how the Lord is leading us to respond individually in our lives with those around us. If you would like prayer or to speak with a leader, Jeremy would love to do that now or after the sermon, after the service. Let's spend a few minutes in reflection. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.